we are going to be transitioning into our passage for the day. It's going to be Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. Um, We're continuing our sermon series called Eyes Up, and we believe here at Flourishing Grace that the Bible is the Word of God. It has um, provision over our lives, and for that reason, um, if you could stand with me as I read. Okay, we have Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a, sep- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see the sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Des. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are we? Really? Are we doing all right? Are we doing okay? Well, hey, it's good to be with you. I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Um, Not that you asked or cared, but that's how I am. Uh, My name is Josh Nye. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace, and I can't wait to get into the Word with you this morning. But before we do, real question, are there any, any men in the room this morning? Okay. Okay, that's... That's better, that's better than the 915, but still, fellas, I mean, come on. Uh, hey, men in the room, you should have, if you've, if you've been around Flourishing Grace for a minute, you should have gotten a text message from me this morning, um, because today is the last day. Today is the, the, the last day to register for Man Day, okay? Any, any, anybody already signed up for Man Day? Wow, okay, three of you. That's why I'm giving this announcement right now. So you can go inside of Amanda. It's, it's this Friday night and Saturday uh, right here at Flourishing Grace, a time for us to, to lean in as men. Um, and we have some uh, incredible things prepared for you guys. It's going to be, listen, ladies, I know. Listen, hey, you'll get your time. Like if gathering's coming, all right, this, this winter, we're going to have stuff for the ladies. But right now, Man Day. 
okay? And so you need to sign up for that today. We have incredible food prepared for you guys. We're going to eat well. Uh, we have some activities uh, planned for you guys. There, there are, there's going to be axes being thrown around. There's paintballs. There's, there's live bulls. There's uh, all kinds of... Listen, I'm just saying, sign up. Today's the last day to sign up for that. There's no live bulls. Uh, I tried, but next year, next year. Uh, you guys have no idea what we are going to do to you uh, this weekend. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be awesome. So make sure you register for that today, right now. Pull out your phone. Uh, Flirt, you, can, you can either click on that text message. You can scan that QR code on that, on that card, or you can go to flourishinggrace.org slash events, and you can find all the information there. All right, Desiree read our word for us this morning uh, from Matthew 25, and we are in this series called Eyes Up, just getting our eyes as a community, as, as, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're getting our eyes up on the return of Jesus for the goodness of our souls. And as I've been preparing for these, this, these sermons and this series, and I've been reading so many uh, theologians of old and the greatest preachers in the history of the world, um, and so many good things, man, you want to just get your mind blown from people who had their eyes on the return of Christ. I Men, read, read the Puritans, uh, read the great preachers of old. And one quote I want to begin our time with this morning comes from Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers. Um, he put it this way. He said this in a sermon that he preached. He said, it is exceedingly beneficial, okay, exceedingly beneficial to our souls to mount above this present evil world, to, to get above it. Let's get above this present evil world to something nobler, something better. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are apt to choke everything good within us. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches are going to choke everything within us. And we grow fretful, despondent, perhaps proud, carnal. It is well, it's good and right for us to cut down these thorns and briars for heavenly seed sown among them is not likely to yield a harvest. And I do not know a better sickle with which to cut them down than the thoughts of the kingdom to come. That's what we're trying to do, friends. Man, I want to mow it all down. I want to get our eyes on the kingdom to come. And so everything in our life that's going to block that out, blocked out our hope that's in Christ, then we're going to mow it down over these next few weeks here at Flourishing Grace. This is what we've been trying to do. This is what we're going to continue to do over the next few weeks. And this morning, no, no, no uh, you know, catchy story for you, no little hook, nothing. I'm just going to give it to you right up front. We're talking about the, the final judgment of Jesus this morning. And I know, um, I, I know some of you are like, hang on, man, I brought a friend. Um, I know. Listen, it, listen, it, it's, this, is, this is the reality. I knew that when we said, hey, let's preach a sermon series on the return of Christ, it's an unavoidable thing. I and mean, we got to talk about the final judgment because they are one and the same. It is in every single one of the parables on the return of Jesus involves judgment, okay? It, this is a theme within the greater redemptive arc of Scripture that you cannot get away from. If you remember a few weeks ago, I, I drew you all a picture. You guys remember the picture I drew for you guys um, on this redemptive arc of human history, the creation 
The climax being the cross. There it is, right? Put that on your refrigerator. Take it home. All right, the, the creation of the world is the beginning of it all. The climax of human history, the cross of Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then, of course, the conclusion being the end, the new creation, the new heavens, a new earth, the return of Christ, ushering in a new heavens and a new earth. Every single one of those big moments is marked by the judgment of God. Think about it. In, in creation, Adam and Eve rebel against the created order, and they rebel against their creator, and judgment is placed over all of creation. The curse of sin and death is placed there. On the cross of Christ, at the, at the, at the climax of the story, right, God's judgment is being laid upon himself. God in the flesh who comes to dwell with us and the judgment is removed from all humanity and laid on Christ the King and he bears it all the way to cross. It's the propitiation for our sins. The payment for everything that was due to us was, was placed on Christ and he bore it all, all the way to death. It's all paid for. It's done. It's finished. And then we look forward to this time where there's going to be one final, one last judgment of God for all those who rejected that payment, for all those who said, no, I'm good, thanks, I will do it on my own. It's coming for us. And this is not something that as Christians we can kind of sweep under the rug. It's something that we as followers of Jesus ought to be like, very mindful of. It's not something we should be confused on. It's something that we should be able to articulate. It's not something we should be afraid of. It's something that we should look forward to. And for those of us who are not Christians, and I know there are people in this room that are, that are not in Christ. You've not surrendered your life to his rule and reign. You might believe, but you haven't surrendered your life to him. It's good for us, too, to ponder what happens at the end of our days. What happens if it's true uh, what, some, something that wrecked my life uh, was the first time I read uh, the Pancis de Pascal, right? Uh, Blase Pascal, French mathematician, philosopher, theologian. Uh, he wrote uh, the Pancis de Pascal, famous work, The Thoughts of Pascal. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. At the end of the Pancis de Pascal, uh, there's this famous kind of illustration that he gives called The Wager. Pascal's wager. You guys might have heard of this. It's pretty, pretty well known. But the way that Pascal describes it is pretty simple. He says, at the end of every human's life, your life and mine, at the end of our life, there's this coin spinning out there. And one day, at the end of our days, on, on my last day and on your last day, that coin's going to fall. It's either going to fall heads or it's going to fall tails. And you must make a wager. There is no choice. You don't get to say, I don't, I don't want to choose. You must choose one way or the other. Heads, it's all true. Jesus is king. He is the son of the living God. He has come and he's removed the curse of sin and death. And one day he is returning to call those home into his eternal kingdom who have chosen to give their lives to his rule and reign. It's all true. It's coming. That's the reality for us. Or tales. It's not true. It's all, it's all made up. It's all make-believe. It's not, it's not real. It's not going to happen. It's, it's, just, it's just a fable. It's just a story. It's, it's either heads or it's either tails. It, there, there's no other, there's no in-between here. And everybody has to make a wager. If you choose heads, you say, I believe it's all true. I believe it's true. At the end of your days, if it falls tails and it was all made up, what did you lose? Pascal would argue you lost nothing. You lose nothing. The day you die, it's just 
over. There's nothing. There's nothing, there's nothing there. It's over. You didn't lose anything. You didn't lose anything. You, you lived a, a wonderful life and a beautiful community of people who are seeking to live uh, lives that are modeled by Christ. You didn't lose anything. But what if it lands heads? What if it is all true? You gain everything. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the kingdom that's been prepared before the foundations of the earth by my Father. Like, you gain it all. But what if you wager your tails? You wager tails and it, and, it, and it lands tails. In the same way, you gain nothing. There's nothing to be gained if it lands tails. It's just it's over. You gain nothing. But if it lands heads for the person who wagered tails, you lose everything. All hope, all love, all joy, all delight, all comfort. It's gone in that moment. And so this, this idea is something that we should think about. We should think about it. In the Pansies de Pascal, one of my favorite parts, he says this. He says, we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. This is true of like all humanity. We're constantly doing this. We know the coin is spinning. This, this wager, it's not rocket science. It's like, well, yeah, duh, of course. You got to wager one way or the other. It's true or it's not true. We run heedlessly into the abyss. Just 100 miles an hour through life, just hammering down the whole way through. But we build billboards and put anything in front of us to stop us from seeing it. I'll just numb the thoughts and sweep it under the rug. Just a little bit more Netflix, a, a little bit more scrolling on my phone, a, a little bit more hobbies or watching a little bit more football on TV or just consuming my life with my children so that I just don't have to think about the abyss that waits for me on the other side of this life. I just want to think about it. Put some billboards up in front of me and just let me hammer down and just drive towards it. I mean, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to live that kind of life. I want to be mindful. I want to be thoughtful of this. And so this morning, as Spurgeon said, let us take the sickle. Let us take the blade and just mow down all the weeds and all the things that we've put in front of us to stop us from seeing it. And let's look at it together. Let's study it together. Let's walk away with clarity together. That's my hope. That's my prayer, is that the Spirit of Christ would just mow it all down with thoughts of the kingdom, pictures of the kingdom, that we might be a people who live ready for that day. Amen? Let me pray for us, and we'll get in. Jesus, we come before you, and that is the prayer. That's my prayer this morning, that as we look at your kingdom and we look at that last day, when you return again, the king comes in his glory that we would be ready, that we will be a people who are prepared, that we will be a people of, who are knowledgeable about it, a people who are excited to step into that final judgment. Let us look forward to that day. Spirit, do a work in us. Mow down the weeds in our life that are blocking us from being able to see it, that are, that are, that are, that are choking out the seeds of goodness that you've placed in our hearts. And let it grow. Let it flourish this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Real simple this morning. Real simple. We're just going to ask three questions, and then we're going to get really practical. Okay? Just three questions, and then super practical. Okay? Um, here, here it is. The three questions we're going to ask are, what is the final judgment? Who, who is going to be judged? And on what are they going to be judged? Okay? This is a biblical theme. We see it all through the Bible. Right? And so just from, from the Bible, right? What is it? Uh, man, who, who is going to be judged? And on what are they going to be judged? Let, let's get educated, and then we're going to get super practical this morning. We all tracked in? We're all on the right page? Yes. 
One person. Sweet. Okay, cool. Um, all right, well, the first question is, what is the final judgment? What is it? What are we even talking about? What is the final judgment? Well, it's all written right there uh, in the words of Jesus that Desiree read for us earlier in Matthew 25, uh, verse 31 and 32, uh, which reads this way. I'll read it for us again if you're following along in your Bibles or we'll throw up here on the screen. It reads this way. When the Son of Man comes, this is Jesus' words, in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is the end. This is it. He's done. He's finished. He's sitting on the glorious throne. The work is done. And before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so what we see is this kind of last, final, glorious moment where Jesus comes, he steps in, he sits on the throne, and everyone's gathered together, and there's a separation. Until this moment, you cannot tell, right? There, there is very little distinction in the people. There, you, you, you work with these people, you, maybe they're in the same house as you, um, maybe they, um, they're engaged in your, in your kids' lives, or your kids' sports, or whatever it may be, like always working together, and then all of a sudden there's this distinction, you know, there's a very clear separating. And these people over here were on your sports team, and these people over here were in your office, but there's not, now there's all of a sudden there's a difference between the two that maybe couldn't have been seen before, but, the, but the, the one who judges perfectly can see the difference. Here's what it is, okay? The, 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 what is the final judgment? This is my little own definition in the most simplest of terms. The final judgment is God's right and good final rewarding and punishing of humanity, okay? That's my definition for us this morning. The final judgment is God's right and good final rewarding and punishing of humanity. And so we're just going to walk through that real quick as we answer this question. What does that actually mean practically from Scripture? Well, first, it's good and right. It's God's good and right final. It's good and it's right. This is, this is a picture that we're actually given in, in this in this text, right, he is in glory. The Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels, and he's sitting on his glorious throne. It's a good and right, perfect judgment. We want a perfect judge. Listen, if, if anybody's going to judge me on anything, I want that judge to be accurate. I want him to know his stuff or her to be sharp that day. I don't want the judge who's a little sleepy. I don't want the judge who's a little confused. I don't want the judge who's like a little forgetful in the head. I want the guy or the gal who is like the sharpest and can actually weigh the evidence. Like that's the judge I want. And the image that we're given is this perfect judge who's going to judge with good and right perfection. He's going to judge it perfectly. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw, there was a Netflix series. Uh, this, is, this is going back a little minute. But there's a Netflix, Netflix series called Making a Murderer. Making a murderer. Anybody see that? Making a murderer. Okay, a few of you guys. That's kind of disappointing. Making a murderer. It's a, it's a true story. Stephen Avery. He was a guy uh, in middle of nowhere, uh, kind of podunk Wisconsin. Um, and he was tried and convicted uh, for, for murdering this, this woman. And, and the only real evidence in the entire case was that he was supposedly the last person to see her alive. And that her car was found on his family's junkyard. His family ran this huge scrapyard, and her, her car was found hidden, hidden there. 
right? And, and the crazy part of it, he probably did it. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. He probably did it. The crazy part of the story is the way they get him is they get his cousin. His cousin is a 16-year-old kid with all these like mental problems. He is so unbelievably, like all these cognitive problems. And they lock him in a room for hours and hours and hours and hours. And they grill him and they grill him and they grill him. These professional trained interrogators grill this 16-year-old kid with all these learning disabilities for hours. And finally, he's like, I just want to go home. And they're like, you can go home when you tell us the truth. And he's like, fine, I was there. I saw it all. And he begins to lay out this story that makes zero sense. There's no evidence. Like, it's not possible. The way that he says it goes down... It could not have gone down that way. There's no possible way that what he's saying is true. And they walk out of the room and they say, we got him. And to this day, that boy, he's not a boy anymore. He's a grown man, is still in prison in Wisconsin for something that he did not do. Like he did not do it. It is, there's more evidence that says that he was not there. He didn't do it than there is. And I, listen, this is, a, this is a shameful thing for me to admit. I watched that entire series Three times. I watched it once with my wife and my dad, who is a criminal investigator. I said, you got to watch this. And I, I made him watch it. I watched the whole thing with them in like three days when we, he was at our house. And then I watched it again because it just, God, made me so angry. Like, I was like, this is unbelievable. I have a good friend who's a criminal defense attorney. And I'm calling her after every episode. I'm like, Rachel, did you see this? Did you hear this? She's like, I know. I, it's crazy. I don't know what to tell you. It's so unjust. And I think that we think that the final judgment of God, we have this negative view of it because every single one of us in this room has been judged unrightly and unfairly at some point in time in our life. Your friend has called you out on something that's just not true. You've been picked on for something that's just not true. Or maybe, maybe you're called out for something that was actually true, but the punishment didn't fit the crime. Like you didn't, you didn't actually, it wasn't that bad. Like your, your parents punished you for something and like the punishment was just like, so like they were having a bad day or whatever, and they, they just let you have it. And it's like, man, we've all been there. What you want, what I want, is a perfect judge who's going to look perfectly in and say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what's innocent, this is what's guilty, and nail it. Nail it. And that's what will be that day, a perfect good and right judgment. Second, it's final it's a final judgment, okay? It's, it's the end. And we want a final judgment. I want a final judgment. Listen, on the next day, the day after the final judgment, guess what? There is no more injustice. Because it's all been judged and it's all been gotten rid of. It's, it's over. It's been thrown into what Scripture calls the lake of fire. It's done. It's over. There is no more injustice. There is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. There is no more tyranny. There is no, there's nothing more. It's only goodness because once and for all, it has been done. It's final. We want that. I want to step through to the other side of that and then experience the goodness that is a world, a new heavens and a new earth free of all injustice. It's a final judge. There will be nothing left to judge the day after the final judgment. And then lastly, it's a rewarding and a punishing so often we think, man, this is just a punishing. God's just going to smite everybody and just punish everybody. No. The first thing that happens, he, he separates the people. He separates the nations. And to all those on his right, 
He says, man, well done. Come, enter in. You who are blessed by my Father, enter into the kingdom that's been prepared and advanced for you since the foundations of the earth. Come, come on in. Like, it's a rewarding before it's even a judging, or before it's even a punishing. It's a rewarding. It's a rewarding of those who have endured. And I would make the case that we want this too. Listen, you've, listen there is a goodness that is experienced. Just like I got a- angry at that Netflix series, man, there's something that happens in us when justice is served in a right and good way. It's like, man, I want that. Like, I, I want to experience that. N- nobody wants to go to work every single day in an office place where there's like somebody in that office that's just constantly just bringing everybody down, eroding and deteriorating the, the culture in that workplace, just slacking off, never getting their work done, just making everybody feel miserable. Like, you want that person to be called out Call it out publicly. You want your boss to step in and be like, what are you doing? Like, you can't act like that. If they continue to do it, you want them to be removed. In the same way, the person who's always showing up early and getting everything done and coming up with new ideas and working hard to, to implement these things that are going to be better for the organization as a whole, you want that person to be rewarded for that. There's something in innocence that says, I want a rewarding and a punishing. So, man, I'll, I'll look forward to the day. Look forward to the day when a perfect judge will once and for all give a final rewarding and punishing for all things. I want evil to be punished. I, I don't think that evil people should be just let off the hook, and neither do you. No, nobody's like, man, I, I just hope that every child molester and every, every Hitler of the world gets like, doesn't, nothing happens to them. No, we want to see punishing. What we don't want is to be found guilty in that day. That's what you don't want. You, you want a final judgment. You want a perfect judge to, perfect, to punish evil. You want to step through on the other side and to be in a place where there is no more injustice. What you don't want is to be found guilty in that day. Friends, what is the final judgment? The final judgment is God's right and good, final rewarding and punishing of humanity. Second question for us this morning, who will be judged? Who will we judge? This one's pretty easy. It's actually right there in the text again. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man will come in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the what? All the nations. All the nations will be gathered there that day. So every single person on the planet will all be lined up. They'll all be gathered together there in that day. So every living person on the planet will be judged. But it goes even further than that. In Revelation 19, 20, and 21, there's a ton on the second coming, the return of Jesus. And in 20, Revelation 20, verse 11, reads this way. John is given this vision, and he says, Then I saw the great white throne, there it is again, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, listen to this, earth and sky fled away. Like the earth is like, oh, I'm out. Like I'm not sticking around for this one. Like, there's, no, there's no room for the earth. There's no room for the sky. His glory just fills it all. There was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small standing before the throne. I, I saw the, the kings of old and the paupers standing before the glorious throne. And the books were open. And then another book was open, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged, uh, judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the, into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. And so who is judged? What's the living and the dead. It's all the nations of the earth and all the dead who have ever been. Every person who's ever lived in the history of the world. The sea gives up the dead who are in it. The, 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 the tombstones will give up the dead who are underneath them. I mean, the people who have been cremated or fed to lions will be, will be re-resurrected. And they'll stand before the judgment seat. Every person who has ever lived will be judged. When I was talking to my wife about this earlier this week, she's like, that's a long line. I'm like, yeah, it is. But someone tells me that God's going to be pretty efficient in how he operates this. So who will be judged in that day? Every person who's ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Are we tracking so far? One question left. On what will they be judged? On what will they be judged? This is probably the hardest piece. Um, and it's where I want to spend a little extra time this morning. On what will they be judged? Well, I think the question you have to ask is, what is the difference between the sheep and the goats? Now remember, this is not literal sheep, not literal goats. He's saying as a shepherd separates sheep and goats, right? Sheep and goats can look similar in some ways. If you have a huge herd or flock of sheep, is it a flock or a herd? I don't know. Uh, flock of birds, flock of goats, I don't know. Herd, we're going to stick with herd. A huge group That'll work. Group of sheep and goats all together in a field. Hard to tell them apart. You got to separate them. You got to separate them. Right? And so in the same way, as I said earlier, I mean, there's no real, there's not a lot of distinctions. These are people that look similar. They wear the same type of clothes. They eat the same type of food. They live in each other's homes and engage in each other's schools. But there's a separating that's going to happen, a separating that occurs. The, the sheep and goats are moved apart. What's the difference between them? Well, over here on the right, you have the, the, the sheep who says, man, man, well done, come, come and enter into um, the, my, this, this, the, the heaven, this, this kingdom my father has prepared in advance for you. And he says, for, for, well, he tells him why, why is he going to do this? He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And all the sheep say, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on, hold on. When? Like, when was that? Like, these are the people who did it. These are the people who said, who were like, he's saying, you did this for me. And they're like, when? When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison like, and visit you? I never visited you in prison. Like, and he says, man, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Come on in. Come, come on in. And he turns to the goats and he says the same thing. But he says, you never did. You didn't come visit me. You didn't feed me. You didn't give me drink. You didn't do anything. And they, say, and they, say, they ask the same question. Wait, when? Like, when did we not, when did we, when did we not go to you, visit you in prison? Like, when did we not uh, feed you? When did we, like, well, what are you talking about? He says, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do for me. And he cast them out. So what is the difference? between the sheeps and the goats. Simple. The difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and did not do. They're judged in that day 
according to the works of their life. That's what they're being judged on. What they did and did not do. The works of their life. Now, I know some of you are already getting uncomfortable. You're like, hang on, that's borderline heresy, bro. Like, I don't think you can say that. I'm going to explain it. But you got to wear it for a second. You got to sit underneath the weight of it for a minute. Because this is, this is a biblical theme. This is not the only place in the Bible. In fact, it's one of uh, uh, many places in the Bible where we see this truth proclaimed again and again and again and again and again and again. I'll give you a few of them. Revelation 20, we read it earlier about the dead being raised. Here's what it says. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had what? They had done. And the sea gave it the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave it the dead who were in them, uh, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Paul puts it this way in Romans 14, verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or why do you despise your brother? For we, are, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You're going to give an account of yourself, what you've done. Paul makes it even more clear in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You're going to stand before him and receive what is due to you. Is it reward or is it punishment? You will receive what is due for you for what you have done in the body. Well, one more. This is Jesus in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I, I know, I know, right now, like some of us are getting really, really uncomfortable because for the past 500 years, the thing that has been rightly pounded into us is grace alone. That's what I was looking for there. Alone, right? Grace alone. Hopefully it's been pounded into you. It should have been pounded into you. If you've grown up in church, I, I pray that it's been pounded. I mean, we're saved by grace alone. Grace alone saves us. Right? That's the truth. Like, what are you talking about? What is this being judged by? What works? What are you talking about? It's not works. It's grace alone. Yes. Amen. <laughs> hey, here's a question. If I, were to, if I were to ask you, or somebody was to challenge you on that, if I were to challenge you on that, which I feel like I am this morning, what's the text? Like, what's the verse or two verses in the Bible that you'd be like, oh, here's where we go. If you want to make the case for grace alone, right, not works, where are you going? Okay, John 3.16 is always a safe answer, but I think there's one even better than that. Anybody got it? Thank you. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And I know you know it. I know you know it, even those of you who are being quiet, right? For it is by... For you, oh, sorry. <laughs> I know it too. Uh, for by grace you have been saved... Through faith, right? There, it can't be any clearer than that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. 
this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. This is not your merit. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's a, it's a gift given to you by God, right? Not a result of works so that no one may boast, okay? Three different ways Paul says the same thing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, okay? Now, we're struggling a little bit, but what's, what's that's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. What's Ephesians 2, 10? Anybody know it? The very next verse? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, anybody know it? Good works. Good works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared, which God has prepared in advance for us, that we should walk in them. That he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? Even Paul, in the verse... That is like the verse of all verses when it comes to being saved by grace through faith. Paul does not, does not relinquish works. He says there's something to this. There's something to this. What is it? How does this work together? Listen, I, I don't want to mislead you. I don't, I don't want anybody to leave here confused. We are saved by grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. Okay? There is, there, there's, no, there's no more to that. There's no merit in your life that's going to save you. Okay, but how do we reconcile all of these scriptures? What is going on here? What do we do when we get confused uh, in scripture? Well, first, we cling to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's going to do all the work for us this morning. We're going to see it. Here's what I want you to see. This, This is the last thing I want you to see. We are justified by grace through faith. No question about it. Justified by grace through faith. But we are judged according to works. Okay? We are justified by grace through faith. No questions. But we are judged according to works. Now, this is actually really simple, I think. Okay? If, if you were to stand trial for any crime, name one. You, you stand before trial before any crime. When you step into that courtroom... The moment you step into the courtroom, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The judge isn't even in the room yet. No verdict has been read. No evidence has been presented. You are just who you are. You step into the courtroom. You are already either innocent or you are guilty. Before you ever stepped in there, you were innocent or guilty. You either did the crime or you didn't do the crime. Like you're already innocent and guilty. Before the verdict's ever read, you are innocent or you are guilty. Are we tracking? Yes. Okay, listen, when Jesus dies on the cross and makes a way for us to be justified before God, the moment in your life that you placed your full hope and trust in Him, in Him alone, for your salvation, you were declared innocent. In that moment, you were declared innocent. Not a minute before that, and there will never be a moment after that when you are declared guilty because it is him and him alone who has purchased your innocence. Purchased that payment, the punishment that is due to you. He purchased it. So you're justified by his grace by having faith in that work. You're justified. You are declared innocent. But on that day, that last day, that final judgment, when the book is open, all my deeds will be right there. All of them. Every ounce of sin and sorrow in my life will be right there on display. Every time I've failed, 
Every time I've stumbled, every time I've fallen, every time I've hurt people that I love, every time I've responded in anger, every time I've responded with lust, every time I've engaged in sinful actions, it'll all be right there. But then as the author of Hebrews reminds us, our God who is a consuming fire, right? He will, he will test it all by fire. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 3. He tests it all by fire. He just burns the whole thing, every effort, every good idea that I've ever had that I that, man, this is gonna this is gonna produce greater money. This is gonna produce greater uh, fame. This is gonna this is gonna make people like me more. All of this stuff that I bring to the table is gonna it's gonna burn all of it right there. It's gonna be destroyed before me. Every endeavor of my life that I strive to achieve and work for, all of it right there is just gonna. Our God is a consuming fire, burns it all, and in the midst of the fire, right there it is. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these little flecks of gold, his workmanship, his workmanship on display in my life. The evidence is right there. The thing that endures is the good works that he has prepared in advance for me to walk, walk into. So every time, every time in my life that I have endured what I didn't want to endure, been pulled through by the Spirit of Christ. It's right there. Every time I've stayed faithful to my wife in the midst of intense temptation, it's right there as he pulled me through. Not as a, not a, not as a, result, of, as a result of my works or my efforts, but him. Every time that I've, that I've responded in kindness, when everything in me wanted to respond in anger, and the Spirit comes in and quenches that anger and produces kindness. Every time He's pulled me through and caused me to take this money that I've been saving for this thing and to, to give it to someone or something that needs it more than I do. He's pulled me through every act in my life where He has moved beyond me. When He's risen above my sin and pulled me through every good thing in my life that He has produced. It's right there in the midst of the fire, and it will not be burned. It will endure. It's the gold in the refiner's fire. And that's all the evidence that we need. Christ in you, the hope of glory on display, will be on display that day, right there in that book. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Come and enter into the glory of my Father. It's all grace. All of it. His grace has produced grace in my life. It's not my merit. It's not my efforts. My efforts burn up. My achievements burn up. All the things that I thought were going to make me cool and make me likable and make me more money, it's gone. But everything that he's done in my life, everything that he's produced, all the good works that he's prepared in advance for me to walk into, everyone that I've walked into, is right there before me. And this is all the evidence that is needed in that day. Friends, can you point to the gold in your life? Can you see it right now? Do you see the evidence of his hand at work in your life and around your life? Does your life give evidence to your justification? Has grace produced grace in your life? So many people want to think that belief alone saves us. It does not. Does not. James says that even the demons believe and they shudder. That's right? saved. They believe. There's got to be more to it than that. 
I love how Peter Hughes Davis puts it. Peter Hughes Davis is a Catholic priest and a professor at a Baptist seminary. You ever want to meet somebody who's got a really balanced view of grace and works? It's probably a Catholic priest who preaches at a Baptist seminary, okay? That's probably the guy you want to listen to. And I was reading a commentary a few weeks ago on this first Peter text that we preached on a few weeks ago, and this stuck out to me. He says, the gospel is an imperative. It's a command. The gospel is a command to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. Any commitment or faith that does not result in a concrete obedience is a misunderstanding of the message and less than the Christian life. Obedient children, that's the, the, from the text in 1 Peter, obedient children then could be another name for genuine believers. There's always evidence to our faith. There's concrete obedience that's being produced by God in our lives. As we step across that line of faith or, or dragged across that line of faith and we place our hope in Jesus, he begins to produce the evidence in our life, concrete obedience in our life as we submit to him as king, as Lord. We're pulled, as we said last week, we're pulled into holiness. We're pulled into purity as we fix our gaze on him. There must be acts of grace in your life. I began this sermon this morning with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I want to read it again as we close out our time together. He says it this way. He says, This, it is, an exceedingly, it is exceedingly beneficial to our souls to mount above this present evil, to get above the present evil of the world to something nobler and better. Let's rise above it. The cares of the, this world and the deceitfulness of riches are apt to choke everything good within us. And we grow fretful, desponding, perhaps proud, carnal. And I, I, I just don't know. I'm assuming that there are people in this room who can identify with that list. You've grown despondent. You've grown proud, you've grown carnal, desiring the things of this world over the things of the kingdom to come. Has the things of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, has it choked out the goodness in your life? It is well for us to cut down these thorns and briars, for heavenly seeds sown among them are not likely to yield a harvest. But I do not know a better sickle with which to cut them down than the thoughts of the kingdom to come. And there are things that for many of us in this room, like there, there, there are works that God has prepared in advance for you to walk into. And they've been placed in your life. But those seeds have not produced anything in your life because they're all getting choked out by all the garbage in your life. You've chosen to not walk in them. You're rather you're walking in the way of the world. You're walking in the way of that, that everybody else around you is walking. And I need to make more money. I need to get, advance my career. I need, to, I need to meet Mr. Right. I need to become cool. I need to become popular. I got I to gotta do all these things. And it's, it's all getting choked out. And just those, these things that you're meant to walk into, you're not walking into them. Because you can't see the glory that's on the other side. 
One day when all the rest is burned up, all those weeds and all the thorns are burned up, will there be anything there? Will there be anything there that he has produced in your life? And I'm telling you, that's the reward. You want to know what you're going to be rewarded on? It's the work that he's done in your life. But you have to allow him to do it. You have to walk into what he's already produced. You've got to rise above the, the, all the junk in this world. Get your eyes set on that day when he comes in his perfect and right judgment, that perfect and right goodness. It's all burned up. What will be left in your life? Here's what I want to do. I just want to move us into just a time of reflection. And I want us to reflect on this together. And so if you'd bow your heads with me, just close your eyes and prepare your mind and just think through this with me. Because there's three types of people in this room. There are those who look at their life and they see piles of gold. I mean, just the fingerprints of Christ everywhere. You, you, so many moments and so many situations of victory that you did not produce. And with humility, you can say, man, that was not me. I am not good enough to produce that. That's the king of kings right there. Again and again and again. And you look forward to that day. I cannot wait to that day. Open that book, baby, and let me see the goodness that you produced in my life. Praise God this morning for your faithful endurance. Praise God this morning. Because that endurance is his gift to you. You do not produce it. There's some of you this morning that, man, as we cut down all these weeds and briars and thorns and all the junk that the world has told you is worth and value, as you cut it down, you see small little flecks of gold, tiny little moments where Christ has done something in your life. I want you to know two things this morning. I want you to know two things. Number one, one fleck is all the evidence that's needed to say, well done. Come on in to the kingdom that's been prepared in advance for you. One little speck is all the evidence that's needed to say, man, you are in. And so rest in that this morning. Find peace in that this morning. Find hope in that this morning. But know this, number two, know this. There's more for you, man. There's more goodness. There's more works that he's prepared in advance for you. Give your life to chasing him. Give your life to pursuing him. Rise above the junk of this world. Let him drag you into holiness. And pull you into purity. Let him change your affections. He wants to produce more in your life. Will you walk in those good works? Third person. It's the person that rises above it, clears it all out, gets their eyes set on the kingdom, and they realize there is no gold in my life. There's nothing there. There's never been a day when you've surrendered your life fully and completely to the name of Jesus. You've wagered on the wrong side of the coin. 
and nothing will be produced in your life. There will be no gold. There will be nothing that stands until you have the one seated on the throne of your heart, seated on the throne of your life that produces the gold, that produces the goodness, that opens your life up to the works that he has prepared in advance for you to walk into. So some of us for this morning need to, for the first time, give our lives to him, surrender fully to him, stop chasing and pursuing the things of this world and cling to him. Others of us need to, for the first time in a long time, say, man, I need to recommit myself to you. I've allowed the, the, the things of this world to choke it all out. I'm not walking in. I'm not walking in what you've prepared for me to walk into. And it's on me. Clear it out. Clean my life. Lead me in the way everlasting. Produce the fruit in my life that I cannot produce. And some of us just need to be moved into a place of praise. We praise God for all that he's done for us. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And we're just going to sit in this for a minute. And you just need to do the work that you need to do with the Holy Spirit this morning in this place. And we want to give you space for that. Man, if you want prayer, there's a team that is ready to receive you and to, and to, and to pray over your life. Whether that's a prayer of praise, praise God for the endurance that he has given you. Praise him for that. Let them pray that over your life. If you need a prayer for the ability to see clearly and to clear out the, the, the junk in your life, let them pray that in your life. Let them pray that the Spirit would, would move in your life so that those works might grow and take hold. If you need to give your life to Him for the first time this morning, this team is trained, they are ready to receive you in that, to encourage you in that, to talk to you about what you need to do in order to receive Christ. Today is the day. Don't wait another one. Don't wait another one. So if you want prayer, I want to encourage you to come forward with prayer. But let's just move into a moment now of reflection and prayer as we call on the Spirit to come. Come now, Holy Spirit, and move into this room confessed our sins, we've sung the praises of our God, we've, we've declared the gospel of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ, and now we ask that you'd move in us to make us more like him. Praise in his name.